dismissing that we worship out the door they go off to kids world <laughs> friends today we begin a new series in the study of the word of god the book of judges and you know you might be uh, tempted to ask why should we study the Old Testament anyway? The nation of Israel is a bunch of failures. It's so heavy reading how God leads them to a great victory and they just turn around and sin. I mean, I mean think about Egypt. You know, they're, they're slaves in Egypt for like 400 years. God raises up Moses, hearing the cries for deliverance. And lo and behold, he doesn't raise an army, my friends. Sends a few plagues their way. And Pharaoh says, go. Yeah, he changes his mind. But with a great deliverance, God brings them out. And you know what they do? Nothing to eat around here. I'm thirsty. We'd be better off in Egypt. You know why we study that? And we learn more about ourselves. Because honestly, these people aren't any different than us. And we, we like to think so. We, we like to compare our best with their worst so that we can feel better about ourselves. But there are lessons to be learned here. So turn with me to the book of Judges. We're going to look at two chapters here this morning, one and two. And it is important, it is, it is mandatory really, that you pay close attention because this lays the foundation for everything we're going to see in this book. Y'all heard of George Santayana. He, he gets quoted a lot. Familiar, familiar quote. He says, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. There are lessons to be learned even from failures, perhaps even especially from failures. Well, not unlike this statement is a well-known definition of insanity. You know, doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. And truth is, if you don't start to change, you will never grow. You will never find victory over sin. You will never be able to dive in the depths of an intimate relationship with God. And to know him in a greater way that people look on and, say, and just rule and say, Oh, that I had that. As if it was easy. If we don't start to learn from our past, we are condemned to repeat it over and over and over and over again. Today, as we begin to study the book of Judges, which is nothing but one long, sad story, the same bad decision made over and over and over and over again. And if we're to choose one word to sum up this book, it would be failure. Everybody say failure. And they fail in the same way 
all the time, throughout the whole history of Israel. And before we get to Judges, maybe we should lay out some context. We talked about Egypt, God raising up Moses and leading them out, but not just out of bondage to this promised land. In the book of Exodus, they're, they're coming out, but they're just one failure after another. You know, when they get to Exodus 20, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. And while Moses is away, you know what they do? They make their own God. They, they take all this gold that they have from the Egyptians and they make themselves an idol. They just saw the power of God in these great plagues and this great victory that released them with the riches. Remember, they plundered Egypt. Slaves plundered Egypt on the way out. One failure after another. One, every step along the way, it seems that these people would not follow God. The, the book of Exodus is followed by the book of Numbers in the history of Israel. And when we come to chapter 13, an exciting moment takes place. One person from every one of the 12 tribes is sent into this promised land to go spy it out to see if it isn't everything that God had promised them. And in those, those spies were in the, in the land for 40 days. I mean, the scripture says that they brought out grapes they required two men to carry them. I mean, these, this, this bunch of grapes, it was, it was a land of milk and honey. I mean, it was rich. And two of those men, one of them, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, let's go take it. Let's go in now. Ten of those spies says, yeah, but the people in there are so big, and it's scary, and maybe God isn't able which, which report do you suppose the people of Israel listened to? They ignored the two, listened to the ten. And God was, was angry and said, this generation will not see the promised land. You're going to wander in this wilderness one year for every day those spies were in the land until this generation dies out. Trust him, my friends. Learn the lessons. So that generation died, and Moses died with them. Joshua became the new leader. Joshua. God used Joshua and his faithfulness and his faith to believe to take that land. And when we come to the book of Judges, they're in. They are in the promised land, except there's a couple of things they have to do. There's a remnant of the people who inhabited this land. You see, there was a twofold event going on with God taking people into this promised land. One of them was goodness to his people, the other was judgment for its inhabitants. You see, they were demon worshipers. They created their own system of gods, the Baals and the Molech. You remember, they created this, they, just, they, they caused their children to pass through the fire. They would lay their children to be burned on this altar that they might have a better life. Tell me that's different 
in our culture today and says, we got a clinic just down the street. You don't want to have a baby. You're too young. You just started your, go and slaughter your baby. You'll just call it a thing anyway. Tell me things have changed. And so here they are in this new land and their new responsibility is by the power of God to clear out the remnants. And here we are in chapter one. And what we're going to see here from the first part, and take careful note of this, you won't see it often in this book, is a formula for success. Take a look at verse one. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord. Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight them? They asked God what they should do. Can you imagine living such a life that you begin your day? God, show me how to maneuver through my day in a way that honors you and accomplishes your will in my life. What would life be like if you prayed honestly prayers like that? What shall we do, God? Who shall go? And then you know what they did? They waited for an answer. As opposed to just figuring the best thing that they wanted to do and do it. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given this land into his hand. And then you know what they did? They asked God. God answered. And they did it. They followed God's plan. Verse 3, and Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we might fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into your, the territory allotted to you. Simeon went with him. He's all partnering, the people of God partnering with one another. Hey, there's a plan. How about we look out for one another, partner together, invite others to join you. And look at here in verse 4, they cooperated with the Lord. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Now Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him, and they caught him. And they cut off his thumbs and his big toes, and they had his nose between their fingers. No, I'm just teasing about that part. This sounds disgusting. Why would they do such a thing? What was the purpose of thumbs and toes? Well, think about you losing that big toe, and maybe some of you have, and you know that it's hard to balance without that big toe, hard to fight without a good stance, and it's awfully hard to hold a weapon without a thumb. But I want you to notice is what you sow, you will reap. And Adoni Bezik said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps at my table. And as I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword, and the city set the city on fire. 
And then afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, but we knew that. And they defeated Sheshbai and Ahiman and Talmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And what we see here is success and victory. Take careful note. They asked God what they should do. They waited for an answer from God, and then they acted in light of it. And they were victorious. That is a formula for success. Friends, that's not just Old Testament stuff. Well, you know, they were just Old Testament people. Friends, that is the pattern for success for the people of God. I read a a frightening statistic this past week that the average time in prayer, that the average Christian just takes time to, is seven minutes a day. Seven minutes a day. That's not a whole lot of prayer, friends. If people are praying seven minutes a day, they're not praying about much. We're going to do a series on prayer. We need it. Men's ministry, the 11th of May, we're going to meet here, right here, this room, 8 a.m. We're going to talk about prayer. And I want you to come, and I want you to be ready to hear and listen and apply and to teach it to your family. They prayed. They asked God. God answered them as he is off to do to those who are serious about his will. And they acted on it. And they were victorious. Hmm. Why don't you notice the next section here? prayed for God's will, they waited for an answer, they followed his plan, and then here in verse 19, we read this, why were they able to succeed? The Lord was with Judah. What does that mean he was with them? This isn't geography here, friends. This is God was fighting for them. God gave them these victories thing that caused Israel to shrink back at, oh, the land. Joshua and Caleb was like, did you not see what God did in Egypt? God can give us this land, but they would not. They chose fear over faith. Faith is taking God at his word and acting on it, but they would not. But notice this. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. What does that mean? Chariots are bigger than God? Same issue going on here, friends. No, we can't do that. I'll tell you what, friends. You don't take the step of faith and trust in God, you will not see his power at work in your life. They were unwilling to go and fight. And they cheated themselves out of the victory. And Hebron was given to Caleb and Moses, as Moses had said. And he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. Now certainly the nation in its new home has begun. Well, as as you know, (laughs) it's not how you start. 
That's how you finish. They had a great start here. Here they are in the land. They're asking God what they ought to do. God is answering and they're waiting and they act on it and they're victorious. That's the principle. That is the pattern for success. That's a formula for our life, my friends. If we're going to live in a relationship with God, all of it counts. It means we're going to have to spend more than seven minutes in prayer. So when we get to verse 21, it is no surprise to us that we begin to see a formula for failure. It is something about this nation, these people, who come in, they are born with a sin nature. And by the way, so are you and I. We don't come into this world neutral waiting to make a choice. Will we chase after sin or chase after God? We come into this world chasing after sin, grabbing everything we can. It is evident in just watching babies. They are innately selfish. I want that, and I don't care about you. I'm not going to stop to think, how are you going to feel if I take this from you? I want, I take, tough luck. And uh, we, we still kind of live that out as we grow older. We just do it a little more sly. You know, we call it negotiations. How can I take that from you and make you feel bad about it while I'm walking away? Five dollars? I can give you six. I came here expecting 20. Well, we're just being good stewards, aren't we? Is not the best deal the one that both people walk away happy? Is it? You're wrestling with that right now, aren't you? The heart of sin is no, I don't want to. I want it for less. I want it now, and I want it to last. I want it for 38 cents, and I want it to last 40 years. Good luck. So here's the formula for failure. You ready? Now, the fact is you'll recognize every one of these things because every one of us practices this in some regard. If you want to fail as a child of God, don't obey God completely. Just enough where you can say, well, I did that. I mean, I, you know, I started... We know what their responsibility is, to clean out the land. So did they do it? Well, the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. They didn't. They were just, they were there. And they were. Joseph, on the other hand, did. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now, the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. Kept their word. Hmm. 
And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. And that is its name to this day. But Manasseh didn't. Look at this. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Look at verse 30. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 31. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. Naphtali, verse 33, did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 34, Dan, the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. And the Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres, and the land of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them and became forced labor. And the body of the Amorites ran the border to uh, Akram and Selah and upward. They didn't finish the job. I mean, there it was. There were these people. They had the power of God and the word of God instructing them to do it. But they did not. Maybe they got tired. Maybe they were just living it out in their own strength and not the strength of the Lord. You can go another day. You can obey God yet one more time. Why? Not because of some great motivation speech or some dude on, on YouTube saying, you can do it, we all can, let's go yay yay. If you are a child of God, you have the grace of God. You have the spirit of God. If you choose to obey God, God will enable you to do it. But the choice has to start with you. It has to. Incomplete obedience is disobedience. book of Samuel, 1st King Saul, God had commanded Saul to go and slaughter a people and all of their animals and Samuel walked up and said, did you do what the Lord, oh yeah well then how come I hear the bleeding of sheep out there well you know we decided to, we, we, you decided that, did you? You decided that instead of doing what God said I mean you did some of it that's got to count, right? Partial credit Partial obedience is disobedience. It is rebellion against God to ignore his word and do it your way. Hmm. Well, the second step in ruining your life, a formula for failure, is to ignore God's warnings. You know, throw them off. That's for other people, not me. Look at here at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, and you shall break down their altars. God told him before they put, took one step into that land, God told them, you will not make covenants with these people. Partnership with the world is not halfway, my friends. 
destroy their altars, eliminate every, every remnant of this world in your life. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare to you. Listen to this, friends. You got a paper Bible, highlight it. Take a picture of it if it's on your screen. This is a truth that you will live with. As long as you tolerate sin, it will be a snare to you. You tell yourself you've got it under control. Nobody knows about it. It's okay. You can hear the hiss of the serpent calling you in. No one will know. It's okay. Remember how fun it is? It makes you feel good. God said, you're not going to push them out, but I'm going to leave them there. And now you get the opportunity to see the results of your sin. So they defied God's word in verses 1 to 3. Now, how would you respond to that? The angel of the Lord, this is perhaps a pre-incarnate visit before Christ took on humanity and added it to himself, a visit of the Lord Jesus Christ to these people. You will not listen to me? Then you will experience the results of your sin. How would you respond to that? Oh, God, no. We were wrong, something, repentance. Well, maybe you harden your heart. But as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words, that's verse 4. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of the place Bochim, means weeping. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Is that what God wants? Tears? In Joel chapter 2, a similar event is happening with the nation of Israel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, we read, Yet now declares the Lord, return with me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And then, then listen to this. And rend your hearts and not your garments. You see, it was the practice in great sorrow. They would tear their clothes. I don't need tearing torn clothes and tear-filled napkins. Change your heart. Change your mind and change your actions. That is repentance. God isn't looking for a nod. Yeah, that makes good sense, Lord. On some change. Maybe the Spirit of God has highlighted some things in your life already this morning, recognizing some patterns in your own life. And like this warning given to Israel, get rid of it. It'll destroy you. It'll eat you from the inside out. It will blind you to the blessings of God, and it will tear your heart from him.
Get rid of it, people. Stop it. Why? Because he loves you and God wants the absolute best for you. But as long as you keep choosing to drink the mud of this world, the sewage of this, this system, it will choke you from the things of God. And finally, if you want to continue on this road of failure, this formula for failure, keep your faith to yourself. Keep your faith to yourself. These words are, are horror to read in my, in my experience. When Joshua dismissed the people and the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua in all the days of the elders who had outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. It means they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. A whole generation that followed these people, they did not know the Lord or even the work that he had done for them. How? How could they not know the Lord? How could they have not heard over and over again all of the great works that God had done for them. It's apparently people decided to keep it to themselves. You want to ruin your next generation? Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the cross. People are uncomfortable with that. I have an uncle. Worked at... Uh, in Detroit, Ford Motor Company. And when I was a kid, I, I, I remember hearing him talk about life at work. And he looked at my dad, and I can still see this image because I was so amazed. He says, you know what, work, they all call me preacher. And I thought, whoa, here's a guy of boldness. And I said, why? Why do they call you that? Is it because you talk about Jesus a lot and stuff from Sundays? He's like, oh, no, I don't talk about God at all. I just try to be a good person. I've yet to meet a preacher who doesn't say something about God. You want to destroy the generations to come? Don't say a word. Just try and be a good person. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Just like you did, right? Somebody has to tell you, my friends. How will they believe if they have not heard? What will they put their trust in if they do not know? You know the answers.
next generation not only did not know the Lord, remember there is no neutral here. They serve demons. Look at verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were found, who were around them, exactly as God had warned them. They bought in, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Psalm 106 gives us a, a divine commentary on this event. In Psalm 106, we read, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. And they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And their land was polluted with blood. And they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. And yet, it is in this midst and in this darkness that we read about the love of God on display. And how did God display his love to such people? Yeah, the Lord disciplined them. So the anger of the Lord, verse 14, was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned them and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Is that the end of the story? What I am going to introduce you to is something called the sin cycle. Everybody say, sin cycle. <laughs> this is the pattern that Israel followed and that you and I follow. And we need to break this cycle. So Israel has sinned. And God leaves them open for their enemy to cause them to attack them like prey. And then they cry out to God. It is the pattern. They're in terrible distress. And then the Lord has patience with them. So the Lord raises up judges who save them out of the hand of those who plundered them. They sinned. God raised up someone to deliver them. How do they respond? Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. And they soon turned aside from the way which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. 
For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And then the Lord allowed them to experience the results of their own sin. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. That is love, my friends. It is called discipline. The purpose of discipline is to cause pain. To plant within the mind and the heart the foolishness of chasing after sin. Those who do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. If you do not learn from your past sin, you will continue to live in it. Bible to go. Those who fail to learn the painful results of past sins are doomed to repeat them. So repent. Repent of your sin. You already, the Spirit of God no doubt has already brought some things to your mind. It's time to act on those things. Repent is a turn, a 180, turning away from that sin to God, the one thing that Israel seemed never to do. But you and I must do if we are to live. Turn from your sin. Recognize it as death. It is drinking poison. And yet it tastes so good. And so you keep going back. Turn from your sin. See what it is. Repent. See it. It is a death. It is a wall that continues to grow higher and higher between you and your God. Repent. And be on guard from the allure of this world. Tugs your heart away from him. You want to fit in. Just like nations, uh, the nation of Israel did in the land. They were not winning anyone to Yahweh. They were being tugged into this idolatry. Identify it, friends. Happens every day. Big ways and small ways. Wear this. People respect people who wear this kind of clothes. You want to stand out, be better. Own it. Only happiness comes with driving a Ford. I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not. Don't buy the lie. Don't, don't, don't buy. They try to plant a dream within your head. This is the fulfillment of life when you know the fulfillment of life is in Christ, the one who gives us joy, the one who teaches us to love. 
be on guard and be faithful to God even if you must stand alone. There is the power of the group. You know it. You've known it since you were a little kid. Nothing more terrifying than to be alone. Everyone else is over there having fun, playing catch, running around laughing. And everything inside you says, compromise everything that matters to fit in. Don't buy the lie, my friends. If you must stand alone, you will never stand alone because you will be standing in the grace of God who is enough. God is enough. And finally, bring someone with you. You're going to stand alone, bring someone with you. Don't buy the lie. Don't fall for it. Stand with Christ. You know the danger of firsts? With temptation. You can walk around it, you can see it, you can turn your head away from it. And you start looking at it, start considering it. Battle starts in the mind, my friends. And then comes the choice. And once you've done it, you've burst open the gates to do it over and over again. Fight the first. You will save yourself from a thousand battles if you can hold yourself to not giving in the first time. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to have one more. One more is what I meant. One handful is all I really meant. You know what I'm talking about. Fight the first. Stand strong at the first and you will never, you will relieve yourself from a thousand other battles. The shame that comes with sin built in, a sense of being a failure. And then the lies come, there's no way back. I'm just, I'm, I don't deserve it. It's true. But God's grace is enough. However you have sinned and shamed yourself and your God, God has made a way back in Christ. It's time to make a change, my friends. Start fighting the battles. Repent of the past sins. Follow the formula for success. Put your trust in Christ. How shall I live this day? Give me the resources and the wisdom to look away from sin and to choose righteousness. Every one of us is a target. Open your eyes to it and choose to live well for Christ's sake.